Welcome to the Money Tree Real Estate Investor Podcast, where we learn from real estate professionals across the industry. They will share about how they got into real estate, the big wins they have celebrated, the mistakes they have made along the way, and the advice they have for anyone following in their footsteps. Money really does grow on trees. Hey everybody, it's William Hollins here for another episode of the Money Tree Real Estate Investor Podcast. I've got a special guest. I've known him for a long time, Reed Bennett. He's out of Chicago, a uh, really successful broker. Reed, I'd love to hear a little bit of uh, your personal story, man. Sure. Well, hey, thanks for having me on, William. I, I appreciate what you're doing with these podcasts, and I've been following you for a while as well, probably since the, the first time you started posting these. So I uh, appreciate your time. Um, I mean, it depends on how far back you want me to go to get personal here. But, um, you know, so I I, uh, I moved to Chicago in 1999 and I ran a personal training studio in the basement of Al Wacker building right downtown in the loop. And a majority of my clients were real estate um, brokers and attorneys. And so I would just spend my days with them uh, watching you know, just kind of picking their brain the entire time uh, I would, you know, I would spend with them. And it was something that I was really interested in. Um, my college roommate, when I went to university of Iowa, he, he bought the house that all my friends lived in on their victory lap on their fifth year of college, mm. rented it out through to them, utilized that bought another deal. Um, and ended up with, I, I believe, somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 homes on the campus of University of Iowa. Wow. Uh, sold those, bought a deal uh, down in Austin, Texas, an apartment deal, and then flipped it like two years later for the, for double the money. And so he had sent me a book, which I'm sure you hear a ton of people talking about, which was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he said, you have to read this book. And this guy did it to a T. I mean, followed it to a T. He retired, you know, probably 10, 12 years ago. You know, the, the rest of us are still grinding it out in the world. But um, but it, it was it was an interesting book. And one of the things I really enjoyed about it was the real estate aspect. And so uh, I got into the real estate business uh, not too long after that. Um, 2001, got my real estate license. 2002, started brokering multifamily. And I've never done anything else other than multi. Um, and so grew my practice from the, the, the small neighborhoods um, in Chicago, uh, on up to uh, apartment complexes uh, in the suburban markets. And, and ever since I took over the National Council Chair of Multifamily for my firm now, uh, now we're doing deals in multiple states around the country, uh, working with many of my colleagues. So it's, it's, it's been really fun to kind of evolve through, you know, from the, the neighborhoods of Chicago out to areas like in your backyard in Texas and New York. And uh, we did a deal in Raleigh, um Raleigh Durham um we have a, we actually closed another deal in uh the Dakotas North Dakota South Dakota so we're we're really all over the place the metrics are are very similar in multifamily you just need to know the nuances as you get into different locales across the country um but yeah it's it, it's been exciting yeah i love that man and it's it's a journey you know it's it's a roller coaster but i i wouldn't have it any other way you know yeah. i like I like the highs and I, I learn a lot in the lows. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, you haven't, you, you didn't make it through the 2008, 2009 crisis. So um, we'll give you a little taste in the next couple of years here uh, of what that might've been like. 
Oh yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, I know, I know, obviously, you know, you're very successful. Did want to just give you a big shout out. Um, you know, and I want to read this just to make sure I get it right. So you got the partner's circle award. Uh, I think you've done that four times now. So that means that you're in the top 0.02% uh, for brokers within your firm. Um, you know, what's, what's the secret sauce? Uh, what makes you, you know, and, and your deals uh, just stand out and, and perform so well? Well, you know, I, I think it's, I think uh, a lot has to do with persistence. I mean, this business, um, it is, it's a challenging business to get involved in, especially on the brokerage side. Um, I mean, most people would say don't plan on making a, a, a deal for at least a year uh, when you're in the business, um, you know, and really we're, we're, we're telling a lot of the juniors and, and I, I coach brokers around the countries too, country too. Um, through, a, you know, one of the best coaching platforms in the country. And, you know, we're telling, we're telling agents, if you're not on a team where you can have an immediate impact with a team and, and you know, have some income that way to plan on one to two years. And the way I like to put it to, to those agents is, or brokers is, uh, you know, you got to, you have to look at it like you're going to get your MBA. You're, you're, mm -hmm. you're not going to school for two years and paying, you know, 60 to a hundred thousand dollars a year, but you're not going to make money, but, and you have an opportunity to make money. But to, to me, there's been nothing like being in the brokerage aspect of multifamily where you get, I mean, I get to see a hundred different groups, ways of approaching deals, um, whether it be market rate deals, whether it's, uh, you know, on the affordable side, all the different execution strategies that you learn from the brokerage angle really gives you, you know, something that I would, yeah, maybe you could get a, a, a mentor, but you're getting one person's view. If you're working with a mentor, which you, I'm not saying don't do that, but from the brokerage angle, we just get to see so many different execution strategies and, and ways people look at deals and analyze deals. I mean, when we market a deal, we're, we're bringing one to market next week. Um, we've already seen probably 70 different ways of looking at it. And it, and it goes from, man, nobody's ever going to buy that deal too. Yeah, this is a fantastic deal. Let me take a look at it and run, we'll run the numbers this way. We have this kind of capital stack that we can run. And um, it, it's just, it's really interesting. It's a business of a ton of no's. I mean, 96%, 97% no's, but the, you know, all you need are the, you know, the four or three or 4% that say yes you know, as you're probably finding out, um, you oh, yeah. know, in, in your practice that, that make that. So that it's a difficult business to get into because of that. Um, I just posted something on LinkedIn. Um, uh, it was a conversation I had one of one of, unfortunately, one of my childhood friends had passed and we had gone to a, the, you know, we all got together, uh, for the funeral in my hometown. This was a, a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, I saw some, some guys I, I grew up with as kids that stayed in my hometown. And, you know, when, when I was explaining to them what I do in brokerage, they were just like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You, you don't get paid unless a deal you're working on closes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then, you know, and I just, I'll never forget. He's like, man, that's, that's so risky. That's so risky. And I, I knew what kind of position he had with the, you know, with the city. And I said, you know, I actually think what you do is risky, you know, 
I said, did you have to ask for time off today to come to, you know, to come to his funeral? And, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I had to put in time off. I said, do you have to ask for time off for, you know, for vacations or to go see your kid's soccer game? And he, yeah, I usually have to do that to say, well, that, that seems risky to me to do that and have somebody, mm-hmm. you know, tell me what I can and can't do and, and then tell me what I'm going to be making. Um, you know, maybe I go in for a three or four or 5% bump, um, you know, just based on like a, an interview I have with my boss. I said, that sounds right. risky to me. So it, it, different people have different levels of risk tolerance for sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm seeking to raise capital, you know, I'm placing capital, finding deals, analyzing deals, partnering with other people that are doing deals. And, you know, I, I'm getting told lots of no's as well in the raising sure. capital. And, you know, ultimately, I would say real estate is, you know, at least actively being a general partner, you know, passively, I think it's, it can be a great opportunity for pretty much everybody to invest, but actively, it's not for the faint of heart. No, you know, you have to have thick skin, you have to be willing to walk through fire. And, and like you said, and and we'll, we'll about to dive into that a little bit more, but you know, the, the waters are choppy at this point, you know, so, so people that have been in it for four years, you know, potentially. They don't know what's coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that that's true, and and it's and it's interesting that you know you're talking about capital raising when you're talking with uh, a number of different uh, people that want to invest in deals. Everybody's all about it, right? They're like, absolutely. Tell me about your you know your next deal. I'll I'll invest, and then you find that deal, and then you go back to this list of people and you say, hey, you mentioned you're you know you're ready to go when I find it. Then they're like, ah, my kid's going to college. I needed to put you know ah. <laughs> you know, I have this, my car broke down. It's interesting when you start asking for funds because, you know, we've helped a couple of our clients uh, raise some capital for deals. And and we have, we've had groups and and owners and people say, Hey, look, whenever you find that next deal, call me. And then we call them and it's always, "Eh," you know, you know, it's, it's not, it's not like everybody thinks, you know, if you have this list of people that said they're interested or they're, you know, you're, you're doing a soft reserve. Once you go back for them, uh, sometimes they're not there. So it's, it's a challenge. Oh yeah, most certainly. Well, I know we, before the show started, we talked about that Houston portfolio, you know, it's all over the news. Um, you know, so for those listeners that aren't aware, uh, there was a, a group that had purchased several properties, uh, in portfolios over the last couple of years. And, you know, they're now in foreclosure. So investors have lost a lot of money and, you know, that guy is, you know, potentially in, you know, some serious legal consequences as well. Um, I'd love to just get your input on that. And, you know, what are you, what are you seeing in the, the market as a whole? Sure. Well, um, having been through uh, a couple cycles uh, in my career, it, it's, it's interesting. When I was 27 and getting ramped up in brokerage, I mean, I just remember, well, first of all, I thought, because I, I was all the deals that I was selling at that time, I was selling to condo converters. That was the big craze when I was starting to sell multifamily. And I, it wasn't that I thought, it was like I fully believed there were going to be no apartment buildings, that every deal was going to get uh, converted into condos. That's how, I mean, that's how hot it was in that market. And that's how, I mean, I had 176 uh contacts that were condo converters on the northwest side of Chicago alone. So everybody and their brother were getting involved in it. Um, and it's just, 
for, for those people that get into it, and I've never seen more syndicators get into the multifamily space than I have in the last five or six years. It, it's been, you know, incredible to see the the groups of syndicators and the the conferences that, you know, people go to and they, you know, say, here's how you do it. I'll be your key principal, go out there and find the deals and, and, and we'll raise the, raise the funds. And then you see all these syndicators post on LinkedIn. You know, we had a three X return in two years on our deal. And you just see all these things and everybody gets excited. And then you have that FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out on a deal. So everybody's trying to get into this thinking that no problem, we're going to be able to raise rents, you know, double digit percentages each year. You know, we're going to be able to cut, you know, cut expenses. You know, it's like, I don't want to say it's like musical chairs where, you know, when the music stops, kind of people are left with, you know, the bag, um, but things don't go up forever. And we just, we just saw the hottest market um, in the 22 years I've been doing this. 2021 was the hottest market I've ever been involved in better, you know, better than the condo craze days. And, you know, if you would have told me in March of 2020, when we were watching on the news, the, the one, the one, uh, uh, what was it? Um, it was a cruise ship that was off the coast of California trying to keep COVID out of United the United States. Oh, yeah. You would have told me then that, you know, coming in that, that 2020 was going to be like, uh, you know, a really horrible year. I would have said, yeah, it's going to be a horrible year. And then if you would have told me 2021 was going to be worse, I said, yeah, it'll probably be worse. I would have bet my house on it. And it ended up being the best year ever. Uh, just because of a number of different uh, metrics that hit the the markets that we probably don't have time to go over. But, um, you know, it's it's going to be a challenging market right now, especially with the fact that they the Fed raised interest rates eight times in 10 months. I've ne I don't think that's ever happened in history. Um, typically, my understanding from an economist I talked to last year was it takes the market eight months to absorb a 50 basis point increase. And so we've just had a 450 basis point increase. And if you just saw in the Wall Street Journal yesterday, the Fed's threatening to raise interest rates again in May, which is just, it's just unbelievable um, right. what effect that's going to be having, and which nobody knows. Um, I don't have a crystal ball that works that well, so I, I can't tell you exactly what's going to be happening with that. But um, the cost of capital has been really slowing the deal volume big time. And, you know, uh, most of the groups we're talking to when we're trying to, you know, pitch them another deal is, you know, our pencils are down. We're waiting to hear what happens with this, what kind of debt we can get. Um, and, 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 you know, but there still are a number of groups that have a significant amount of capital that need to place it. So they're looking for a small, you know, small number of deals that are out there that you can buy. And so what I'm looking at right now is and we're bringing out a deal next week that has um, a fantastic assumable debt. You, you know, with assumable debt, you have to have a long enough term that it goes out, and then you also have have to have a high enough LTV to make sense. Nobody's coming in with a you know sixty percent down payment to take over your forty percent LTV loan. So it needs to be a juiced up LTV. It needs to be a long enough term and a great interest rate. Those deals are going to get done in this market. Um, other deals where the seller has enough, uh, you know, substantial amount of equity, if they want to get a, a, you know, a 2021 or early 2022 price, they have to give you 2021 or 22 terms. Mm. 
And some of the groups that, that can be the bank and sell their deal with, you know, with terms like that, they might get a pretty decent price because again, there's a ton of capital still like looking for deals and wringing their hands. You know, we're getting calls every day. Hey, what do you have? What do you have? We need, we need to put this equity to work. Um, and then the third kind of transaction, uh, you know, is going to be the deeply discounted deals that are coming, you know, they're coming back with, you know, bridge debt. Um, Cause a lot of the groups that had bridge debt, with uh, low interest rates are going to have to refi and they're, they're going to have to do cash in refis. And, you know, in 2009 and 10, it, it happened with a lot of groups too, where they had to bring money to the table to get a new loan. Even if mm -hmm. they're saying to the bank, Hey, look, my metrics are fine. My income is fine. Just let me extend this loan. And we saw a lot of that, like, it was called extend and pretend where the banks didn't want to receive the property back and they yep. wanted to, you know, let these let these owners try to figure it out before they took it back. Um, so I think we're going to, we're, we're already seeing that in the office space. I mean, there's 70 billion uh, of office loans coming due. And a lot of that is going to be distressed. So, you know, the great thing about multifamily is the metrics are very strong. And what happens in this type of market where interest rates rise is a lot of the would be homeowners that are renting right now that, you know, saved up and we're going to be buying a home. They're priced out right now. Um, you know, the inventory is still pretty low as far as homes. The pricing hasn't come down, but the debt, you know, I refinanced my home a couple of years ago at under 3%. You can't get that right. anymore. You know, it's six and you know 7% right now. So that just doubled your payments for a lot of homeowners, especially first time homeowners. So it's going to keep them in the market. Um, you know, the other thing that we're seeing a challenge with a lot of the multifamily owners is the inflationary pressures on the expenses. Um, you know, so it's, it's like, it's like everybody's getting hit uh, from every different angle. I mean, the, the Fed should have been raising rates in 2021. There's no doubt they waited too long and they're hitting it too hard. And it's, um, it's going to have a detrimental effect as we're already seeing. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I got to listen to uh, an oil and gas group. I got to listen to their economist yesterday and was just, you know, fascinated. I, I don't really see this in, in popular news and media, but yeah. obviously the the BRICS nations, there's a lot of companies and, and businesses and, and countries that are, are trying to, you know, get rid and, and move away from the U.S. dollar at this point. Yeah. You know, so he was saying that he doesn't think that the U.S. dollar is, is going to disappear but he thinks that there is a, a strong possibility, you know, that it's going to lose value in the short term and in the long term. And, you know, people are, are needing places to put their money that is going to have a, a store of value, whether the U.S. dollar is strong or not, you know. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, he talked about gold. He talked about oil and gas, obviously. Um, and he also talked about real estate. Well, I, to me, there's nothing there's there's no inflationary hedge better than real estate you know, the bricks and sticks of real estate. And, um, you know, if you keep your money in the bank, even if, you, you know, there, there are a couple of banks uh, here in Chicago that are giving you 4% on your checking account right now. Still, it's, it's devaluing. You know, when the government's printing trillions of dollars, I mean, I don't even know what a trillion looks like, you know? Um, <laughs> I mean, it's a thousand billion, right? And a billion's right. a thousand. I mean, it's just once you start talking about those numbers, it doesn't matter. I mean, I remember in the downturn, um, you know, in 2010, I met with a, a multifamily developer in our market, and he said, 
you know, the bank's coming after me for $106 million. He goes, I don't even know what $106 million looks like. So they, they can come after me all they want for it. So it's like, now we're getting into trillions. So yeah, there's no doubt it's devaluing, but you know, to, to, to sit with your property and we had a lot of groups. I'll, I'll never forget talking to a couple groups in, you know, 2018, 2019 that said, you know, we're holding, I mean, they were so far ahead of the curve. They're like, we're holding onto our property because we're waiting for inflation because it's way better than selling my deal and putting the money into a bank or into a CD or, you know, mm-hmm. even into the market at this point. So, and those guys were right. Passive investors in real estate are able to receive a check every month. Some people call that mailbox money. We say money really does grow on trees. Visit the website at biggerpictureholdings.com where we have a ton of free resources to help you learn more about planting your very own money tree. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, what's what's the best advice you have kind of uh, for for property owners and those looking to buy kind of moving ahead? Well, I think if if you can buy deals that make sense right now, you're going to be fantastic. I mean, and 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 you have to be looking for longer term holds. The the right now, I don't think a a, a three to five year hold is is going to make much sense unless you can get in at a really low basis, which I haven't seen a really low basis on a deal in a long time, um, just because the competition has been so you know, so heavy in the multifamily market. But um, I, I I think the look at a hundred deals, you know, make 20 offers and maybe, maybe get in involved in one um, is, is a good metric. And it just has to be the right deal. Don't, don't get, don't get that fear of missing out on a deal, especially now um, it, it has to really make sense. Um, and, but, and look, I think in every single market, there's always going to be a home run deal you can find. If you're digging deep enough, you're going to find the deal. There's always reasons that groups have to sell. My my favorite is, you know, uh, when groups have, uh, you know, there's three partners and they're all fighting with each other. They're going to sell. They don't want to be involved with each other anymore. And they're going to take what the market will bear. Um, you know, there unfortunately are, you know, health issues that that owners have. Mm-hmm. I, I'll never forget when I was first in the business and I was calling all the owners in my certain area of Chicago, there was one guy that I had called and it's, you know, he said, I'm never selling this deal. And then all of a sudden, you know, four or five months later, I saw that it was, it was on the market with one of my competitors. And I call him up and I said, Hey, hey you, you said you were never going to sell this deal. He said, look, I got, you know, I found out I had prostate cancer. And, you know, that guy called, like called me like the day after I had the diagnosis. And I said, you know what, I'm not going to be spending the rest of my life managing this deal. I want to spend it with my family. So there's always a reason. There's always a time, which is, which is why if you're going to be calling on people, you need to be doing it at a consistent level and, um, you know, take all the no's, but you have to, you have to also be adding value to people when you call them. You can't just be you know, in your case, do you want to invest? Do you want to invest? Do you want to invest? You have to be sharing information with them and sharing, you know, what's going on in the market and why, you know, you know, why certain investments that you're talking about or are, are interested in acquiring might be beneficial to their portfolio and to them. Um, Cause everybody has the what's in it for me when you're talking to them on the other end of the line. So that's, that's one of the main things that we changed in the, in the brokerage practice is just more sharing information. Um mm-hmm. 
you know, when it used, it used to be back in the day, it was, you know, you're calling the guy saying, Hey, do you want to, you want to sell one, two, three main street? Do you want to sell? Do you want to sell? And then it changed. Uh, everybody got the great idea. Oh, Hey, what do you want to buy? Let me talk about, you know, let me take down your acquisition criteria. What do you want to buy? Uh, th those two things you can ask those in the conversation, but if it's a, it has to be a conversation that you're adding value to the person you know, sharing something that's going on in the market because everybody right now wants to hear what is happening with all these banks failing, yeah. with the interest rate, you know, hikes, what is happening? What, how is it going to affect me? And if you can share that with people, how this is affecting them and then what your solution is, you have a much better opportunity, um, you know, when you're talking to other individuals on the other end of the line. Yeah, that's that's so wise, man. I, I just I think it's great to to seek to add value and, and not just be a taker. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got one last question for you, Reed. And I ask yep. this to every single person. You know, I, I try to give people a, a spotlight at the end. I want to give you a platform just to to talk about your proudest accomplishments and anything that you wanted to hype up today. Oh, sure. Well, you know, I we just really uh we appreciate some of the, you know, I guess our, our main accomplishments in the real estate business, um, you know, have been uh, selling deals multiple times. Uh, and in one case, we sold the same deal for the exact same owner. And it's kind of, it's tough to get your head around that. But what we did with that one was we had sold it for him and he carried paper on the deal. And a year later, the buyer couldn't keep up. He, he was losing a bunch of other properties and he couldn't keep up with the payments. So he actually, the same buyer foreclosed oh. on that person and has called me and said, look, I just foreclosed on him, sell it again. And so uh, a couple of those deals uh, from a business standpoint uh, were, were my you know greatest accomplishments in, in that business. But really my, my two best accomplishments are my two boys um, that I have right now. And that's just on a personal level. Yeah. I love that. Yes, sir. Well, that's so cool. Uh, Reed, it's been great to, uh, just talk real estate with you today and hopefully we can have you on a, on the show again. How can people get in touch with you if they, they'd like to? Sure. Uh, they can eat, find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn or they can call me on my cell. My cell is 773-251-7342. Reach out anytime. Yes, sir. I highly recommend it. Uh, this is one of my favorite guys in real estate. Reed, it's been great talking to you. Thanks, William. Appreciate you. Like and subscribe below. A new episode will air every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Are you looking for more content? Visit our website, biggerpictureholdings.com. And remember, money really does grow on trees.